And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, cancel the season. Season's over. Wizards are 0-3. Clearly, there's absolutely nothing good that can come in the final 69 games of the year. It's It's done. I've seen on Wizards Twitter that the season should be canceled. So the season is canceled. Uh, or we can just see what happens over these final slate of the uh, these final months of the year and see if maybe they beat the Bulls twice this week and beat the Wolves after that. And all of a sudden they're three and three and everybody forgets that they lost their first three games. Those are the first two things. Uh, I, I got Dave DeFore on the Skype line. Dave, which one are we doing? Are we going to talk about the Wizards as if... As if uh, the sky is not just falling, but it is completely falling over. Or are we going to uh, put some perspective on this thing? Um, I'm I'm thinking the latter, but the the former does sound fun because I there are like six teams that I'd love to bury tomorrow. <laughs> you know, just not just not think about. Uh, unfortunately for you, the Wizards are not one of them. I, the Wizards are fun as hell, man. Like I, I really enjoyed. Uh, the game, the the games against the Magic, and I see a lot of potential there. Okay, so we've got all right. Dave, Dave's got some Wizards optimism. I I wouldn't say I have Wizards optimism. I would say that I am, I am at the, so so they're zero three. They have just collapsed in fourth quarters. They've given up hundred and twenty two points in their three fourth quarters now. Uh, that's their their defensive rating in thirty six fourth quarter minutes this year is one fifty seven point one. A well, they suck. They're, they're not good defensively. It's it's. Here's the thing, defensively, it's what I thought it would be. It's mm-hmm. it's it's kind of fine because what did Wizards optimists? I mean, Wizards optimists expected this to be a bottom ten defense. I'm saying Wizards optimists expected right. this to be a bottom ten defense. The reason people thought this thing was going to be decent, whether you thought they would win, you know, 48% of their games or 50% of their games or 52% of their games or whatever. I don't think many people were significantly higher than that on them than that range was that their offense would be really explosive. And I think a lot of the offensive problems are very fixable. Bertans will work his way into better shape, which he hasn't been in and he's been on a minutes limit. Russell Westbrook is going to play more than two-thirds of the games as long as he's healthy because they're not going to have back-to-backs all the time. And and those guys are just going to learn to play better the more they play, which they haven't because the Wizards have had Westbrook on a really strict resting plan where he didn't play in the preseason, basically. He played one half of basketball. Beal barely played in the preseason. Berton's barely played in the preseason and hasn't really played very much in the regular season. They haven't been able to maximize minutes with a Beal, Westbrook, and Berton's lineup. I mean, those guys have been on the floor for a total of like 15 minutes together over the first three games because Westbrook rested in the third game. A lot of these things, and we'll break into the the more minor stuff as well, but I just I feel like a lot of this is fixable. When I say fixable, I don't mean this team's going to like all of a sudden take off, but like... 
it's three games, 72-game season. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of this stuff is is just like going to solve itself. It feels like a lot of the decisions to make from here are kind of obvious. I feel like they're probably going to happen or at least smoothen. Anyway, go yeah, ahead. Maybe, maybe. Maybe. Well, maybe. I, I don't. Maybe not, the which uh, ones. Because well, I, the change the changes that need to be made uh, relative to what? See, that's kind of the question. So the changes that need to be made relative to trying to make the playoffs, that's one set of changes. And then there are changes that need to be made for the long-term health and growth of the, you know, the team. Now, certainly you, you want to try to serve both, but I don't know if it's possible to serve both. No. Or maybe it is. Maybe the move that puts them in a position to actually make the, that 7 to 10 range and get in the play-in is also the thing that sets their young guys up for greater success. Playing better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, so here's Play the thing. Play better players. Yeah. So here's the thing. The reason getting off to a decent start is important for them, and this is my personal opinion, is because Bradley Beal has said winning now is important. He can be a free agent right. in two years, and mm-hmm. if they get off to a bad start, then that gives Beal ammo to think. And I, I am of the belief that all things being equal, Beal would rather win in D.C. than win elsewhere. But I don't think he'd rather lose in D.C. than win elsewhere. Right. And I think he's given the Wizards a fair chance. They have lost at a 50-win pace two years in a row. I think he's given the Wizards a fair pants chance to say, go out there and find a way for me to win here. And if he doesn't end up winning, if they're seven and fifteen, if they're eight and seventeen, then all of a sudden it's like, all right, now I'm wondering when when is the Beal trade list coming in? You know? And and I'm not yeah. I'm not saying that's definitely what Beal's gonna do. I can neither read the future, tell the future, nor read somebody else's mind. What I'm saying is that's how these things tend to work in this league. It's happened before. And it's plausible it can happen again. And so that's why getting off to a decent start matters. But they got, they got the Bulls on Tuesday. They got the Bulls on Thursday. They got the Timberwolves after that. And Carl Anthony Towns is out. The things that I say are fixable. So let's go through it. The things that I say are fixable are they will learn to play with Westbrook more. I have Absolutely. to imagine. I just, yeah. I have to imagine. And I feel like Wizards Twitter will bite my head off for this take. But I just have to imagine they will start to prioritize putting more shooting around Westbrook. They have to. They don't have a choice. And it seems so obvious to me, and I have to imagine they will do it. Now, one of the ways they'll be able to do that is Bertans at some point, probably in the near future, will be able to play more than 20 minutes a game. And you know what? It's going to help them just literally be able, being able to play their best three players minutes. Like just being able to play Russell right. Westbrook and being able to play Davis Bertans and having Bertans not out there like chug a lugging every time he runs. Like that, that's gonna help them. Being able to play your best players is going to help you. Getting back Rui Hachimura, like that's that will presumably help them. So so just merely those things are fixable to me. Now they have they have other flaws, obviously. They have other flaws that that shouldn't necessarily be happening like the defense i think is just going to be there that's just going to be a thing all year i figured we'd see a lot of games in the 120s 130s this year that's the way this team was going to go um but like the the big stuff like the stuff that really is going to make the biggest difference which is like is russell westbrook playing is davis bertans an 80 million dollar player 
Like those things are going to resolve themselves over time. And I imagine pretty quickly. And I think those are the most important things. Now, let's break into the minutia because I don't have you on here for big picture. I have you on here for random ass oh, really? NBA specifics. Yeah. Oh, God, I, I love the big picture. Though. No, you don't. No, yeah. you don't. We Every do. time you come on this podcast or we have a phone call, <laughs> we end up breaking into some random conversation. Well, that's how you get there, right? About a 13th man who plays in Lithuania and how he might be able to set really good back screens for like, uh, <laughs> like you know, some some third, you know, guard off the bench. Yeah. And that. But Ishmith does love coming off a good back screen. <laughs> There you go. So let's let's break down the minutia. What if, if, if I something I want to do with you right now, and I didn't even ask you to prepare for this um, because I just knew you would naturally prepare for this. Oh God, that's <laughs> true. Right. Uh, sure, I did watch the games. So. Yes, but I knew I knew you would naturally prepare for this, and I and I didn't want to give you a warning because I thought it would be more fun to just we talk things out when we do this. We just yeah, end up talking. I love. Things out. By the way, this is actually one of my things when when I do guest spots on podcasts. Often people offer me an outline. I never want one. Not on a guest. Not as a guest. I like to to play it kind of fast and loose. Great. So let's let's. Yeah. I'm, I want you to give me give me one um, wizard's minutia thing that you think either needs fixing or or uh, a solution that you have that you think could help them a little bit from their early season struggles. Well, you said Russ and shooters, um, and, and obviously that makes sense. Uh, how about Russ off the bench? Uh. And I know, <laughs> and, and it'll never happen. But, you know, we watched what Miami did last year with Goran Dragic. He came off the bench all year uh, until, you know, the bubble. And he was awesome. They saved his legs. I mean, that was the that was the program they were on. He still closed a lot of games. I think most of them he closed. Uh, but they saved him for uh, the maximum impact. And he got to play pretty well against second units often. So he actually boosted the bench by being on the bench. Um, it doesn't have to be a slight. It can be about that load management. It can be about maximizing Westbrook's ability to take advantage of of the pieces around him. I mean, you could really put some shooting out there against second units because your defense doesn't have to be as good. So you can give up a little bit more than you can, you know, with your starting lineup. Not that this starting lineup is stopping anybody. I, like, so maybe I should stop pretending that defense is a is a concern there. But I do think that you could maximize Westbrook and also maybe maximize your starting lineup a little bit uh, by by moving Russ to the bench. That is never going to happen. No way. Yeah, of course not. We're just we're just throwing out ideas here. All right, I I have an idea, and it's uh, it's it's literally this is great. It is the exact opposite idea of you. The, you you're gonna move everyone to the bench <laughs> except for Westbrook. Yeah, play Bradley Beal six man of the year. No, it, it, here's my okay. idea. I like that Scott Brooks is staggering Westbrook and Beal. I do. Well, no, 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 that's good. That's good. No, I like that. I like that he's yeah. doing that. I think that's been a good decision. I think he's handled those rotations well. He didn't do it enough in Oklahoma City. Right. Something that has been uh, – well, you know what? I, I think part of the reason he didn't do it in Oklahoma City was honestly because Kevin Durant was really married to his rotation. 
Right. And that made it more difficult when those guys are really in their habits and they want to play with specific rotations. It just makes it more complicated to stagger. Anyway. Yeah. Basketball basketball players are not used to creating new habits ever. Yes. So one of the something I'm going to throw out is is totally changing habits. So we'll see. I, I don't know if this will ever happen either, but it's just kind of an idea I have. I don't really even know how viable it is. I've thrown it out to nobody in the league so far. I actually just kind of was thinking about it with somebody like two hours ago, like a buddy who I was talking to. And I haven't thrown it out to anybody to see exactly how viable it would be like with players changing their rotations to this degree. But it's early in the season. So here's what I'm thinking. So every single time Scott Brooks throws out that three-point guard lineup at the start of the even quarters, Wizards Twitter freaks out. And I get it. I don't like. I I don't I don't really see that. I shouldn't say I don't like it. I don't really see the benefits that that has. You don't necessarily have enough playmaking to justify three point guards plus Troy Brown or three point guards plus Jerome Robinson, and you don't necessarily have enough shooting to justify it either. So you're kind of getting a lot of the disadvantages from going super small without having many of the advantages of going super small. It's not like you're lining the floor with these great shooters and playmakers. It, it, this isn't like when the Mavs would play the three-point guard lineups with J.J. Barea. It's it's not working that same way. So I see people freak out about that, and I, I understand that. And then in the second half of the first game in Orlando, Brooks goes away from the three-point guard lineup, doesn't play Howell Neto. And then I see those same people who are freaking out, stop playing the three-point guard lineup, saying, why didn't you play Neto after he was four for four in the first half? It's like, well, if you're going to stop playing a three-point guard lineup, you're going to stop playing your third point guard. That's how this is going to work. And Brooks, I think, wants to find minutes for Neto. Neto. He should. Neto scored. He played well. I don't think he's a... He's a strong one-on-one defender, but I think he's a pretty good team defender and he gets feisty in passing lanes and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And he's, you know, on a team that doesn't have a lot of defenders, I think he's I think he's helpful for sure. Mm-hmm. He's Absolutely. he's feisty, he's frisky, he gets in the right spots. He's pretty good at getting his hands on the ball without overly gambling, which is a really nice trait. But like Fultz was just beasting him one-on-one in the fourth quarter of that game. It, that exactly. So the the game the way that game started Defensively, I thought the Wizards were great, and it was because Neto was feisty, and I, I thought Thomas Bryant that that whole bubble defensive leap that we saw. I think that that's carrying over. I liked a lot of what I saw out of Thomas Bryant early in that game, um, and they could use a feistier guard. I mean, no no offense to Russell Westbrook, but I don't think anyone is ever going to call him a feisty defender. Is he is he one that takes advantage? Of mistakes, absolutely. He he is a really good gambler uh, co- compared to how many times he misses. Um, I think he does a really good job when he gambles. It's just the rest of the possessions. It's falling asleep away from the ball. Yeah, ro- rotates off the wrong guy a lot too. Yeah, yeah. Well, and uh, rotates too early. Yes. Well, so anyway, yeah. getting back to it, I'm fine with wanting to play Neto as well. Now, the mm-hmm. way that you get away from playing that three-point guard lineup while playing Neto, and this is my rotational fix, I wonder if they're playing the wrong star with the bench. So I wonder, what they've been doing basically is they're they're pulling Westbrook at the six-minute marker, and then they're subbing Mm -hmm. Beal in for Westbrook at the three-minute marker of the first quarter. 
Um, or I'm sorry, and right. then they're shoving Westbrook in for Beal at the three-minute marker right. of the first quarter. Westbrook is running with the bench from the three-minute marker of the first quarter until about the nine-minute marker of the second quarter. Beal subs back in for Westbrook at that point, plays mm-hmm. with starter slash bench for from the nine to six, Three and minutes. Westbrook comes mm-hmm. in for the for the last six minutes of the second quarter. I wonder if you reverse that, how much it would help. And then maybe at the six-minute marker, uh, instead of Westbrook coming out, now all of a sudden you have Beal come out at the six-minute marker, and you can end up playing like Beal alongside Ish Smith and Neto, or you can play Beal alongside some of those other bench guys and kind of let Beal cook with the second unit. And that way, now if you're going to do that, because they've been using Bertans off the bench, if you're going to do that, you are certainly, and I think you're probably this way anyway, you're certainly best off just mirroring Bertans' minutes with Westbrook's minutes. You start Bertans and you might have mm-hmm. to bring Rui off the bench in that scenario, uh, but which I don't think is something that they're going to do. I just, I'll have to see it before I believe do that. Do you think Rui's getting into the starting lineup? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I do. I mean, we know Bertans is going to be in there at some point. Do we? Right? No. I mean, I'm assuming. I don't know that. He certainly got paid starter money. Yeah, I, I don't know that he's going to get into the starting lineup. I think they like Rui starting. So I think I think Avdia is is in it. I think he's he's staying. Yeah. Well, let's 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 talk about Denny in in a couple minutes because yeah. I want to stay on this point because mm-hmm. I I think if if you want to play Neto. I think just from just the sheer fact of just from the sheer basis of rotations, you might be best playing Beal with the bench unit. Now, I don't know how much like I don't know how they made that decision to where Westbrook and it's something that I'm actually going to ask at the next availability. I'm going to ask Brooks, which where Westbrook was the one who was going to play with second units uh, with the second unit. And Beal was the one who was basically going to get the normal starter rotation you know, out of the nine-minute mark mm-hmm. or the three-minute marker and back in at the nine-minute marker, which is basically your normal starting shooting guard rotation. That's very basic. Uh, I I wonder, I just wonder how it would look if you reversed them. And I wonder how those players would react. You know, Westbrook is, is very, very routine-oriented. Then again, mm-hmm. he's changed the way he's rotated over the last couple of years. He used to be the guy who would always come out at the three-minute marker and come back in at the nine-minute marker of the second quarter, just like Beal does now. And now he's reversed. Maybe he's more open. Maybe he's more open-minded about those sorts of things now. Uh, I I don't know how players would react if you do that in the middle of a season. But if you're going to play Neto and you're going to play Smith, and the thing with Smith is he's a solid backup point guard, but he's a guy who likes to dribble a lot. And he's the best when he's dribbling against second units and that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, him and Westbrook doing that together, and then you throw Troy Brown into the mix. It's just a lot of guys who are the best when they have the ball. And I don't think you're necessarily maximizing your personnel. And you're you're also not maximizing the amount of shooting you can put around Westbrook in those scenarios either. So I would be just tying my shooters to Westbrook's hip. Uh, and and letting them cook because I think Westbrook will help shooters. He'll get them open. He'll get them spot up looks. And I think shooters will help Westbrook as we saw time and time and time again last year in Houston. So you would have Thomas Bryant kind of married to Westbrook as well? Yeah, maybe not to that degree. But yeah, sure. I mean, Westbrook with the bench unit has been like Lopez is down low a lot. He's on the block a lot. Ish Smith, guys will help off of. 
you know, Neto can knock down threes, so it's not like a huge problem. But guys will help off Neto. Like every guys will help off a Troy Brown too. So in that lineup, you just have players collapsing into the into the lane when Westbrook penetrates. And and for the most part, they've done a pretty good job tying Bertans' minutes to Westbrook. I think mm-hmm. during the two games they've played together, Bertans played twenty minutes or twenty minutes each. I think forty minutes total. I think thirty-one of them were next to Westbrook. So they've done a pretty good job making sure to do that. I think they could play some more shooters next to him. And 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 by the way, you know, you could activate Garrison Matthews and give him some minutes too. Well, you and I texted about that the other day, and it made no sense to me that a team that really it, it needs shooting and has some, you know, the interesting health things going on with Bertons and obviously with Russ being on this this rest protocol. Just seems to me like you would activate that guy and see what you got. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I mean you know he can shoot. And you know he can move. He's pretty active off the well, ball. Yeah. He's pretty active mm-hmm. off the ball. Just give him a try. I mean, look. They're not adverse to giving guys tries. Scott Brooks says a lot that that, you know, 10th man is a fluid situation. He says that minutes are up for grabs, and he's operated like that. He's been flexible enough to put Neto in the rotation. And, and you know, we've been critical of some coaching things that Brooks has made so far on this podcast. But you know what? Good on him for noticing that Howell Neto can help and should be in the rotation because so far it looks like a good decision. Um, you know, on the other side of it, and I, I, mean, I, I don't know I why – you know, Rui's hurt. You can activate 15 guys now. I, I asked Brooks mm-hmm. before the game about not activating the two-way guys and you know, so you can just have 15 active players. And he said it's because they want to save, you know, this year you're allowed to be active for 50 games if you're a mm-hmm. two-way guy and you want to save their games. But I'm like, what? I just, I wonder what. Save them for what? Exactly. Save them for what? Listen, man, this is like, this is the minutes, like foul trouble bullshit all over again. 50 games at the beginning of the season or 50 games at the end of the season doesn't matter. It's the same games. You know, I'll tell you what. Two-way guys aren't eligible for the playoffs. So if they made the playoffs, they wouldn't be able to play anyway. I'll tell you what. It actually does matter because I think it matters in the other direction. Because right now you've got Bertans, who's your best shooter, on a minutes limit. They could use him. Exactly. Rui is hurt. Well, yes. And on a night like that second Orlando game, Westbrook was out. that's what the two-way guys are, should be for. Exactly. When you need them, they're they're literally break glass in case of emergency. Right. And that's what I'm getting at. So if you need them today, use them. If you need them next week, you use them. And again, the the, the NBA giving them 50 games. You don't have to count the days anymore. Yep. And so just use them. The Wizards have an you open know, roster. Like, you know, spot. Bertans is going to be healthy. And they have an open roster spot too. So if somebody, if you give somebody an opportunity, they show they help. You can convert them. So, exactly. so I, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, now at this point, like, see what you got. Because if if he's not, if you're not going to use him when you don't have a full roster, when Westbrook is resting, when Bertans is on a minutes limit, and when Rui is out, then when you have a full roster, obviously you're not using him. You right. know? So I, I, I mean, I feel like last year was kind of the one of the many – goals of last year, you know, beyond development, progression, cultivating talent, all that stuff was just kind of seeing what you have. And I know Matthews didn't play very many minutes. 
and he got hurt. But I feel like you kind of saw there was a little something there. There was a little there was a little fire there. You want a little spark plug? That, that he, he might be able to give you that. Uh, I would just want to see what I have in him. Um, you know, I think the Wizards have done for the most part. This isn't a general criticism I have of the Wizards. I, I think under Tommy Shepard and Scott Brooks as well, I think they've done a pretty good job over the last year and a half of just kind of seeing what they have. Mm-hmm. You know, they did a good job giving opportunities to to Wagner, to Jerome Robinson, to a lot of these young guys. And I think part of the reason why I'm like Garrison Matthews looks pretty good is because they kind of gave him opportunities last year for them to see what they had. If you're going to check well, what the guy has, they, then obviously they like him. They brought him back. Yeah, they wouldn't know all from the qualifying offer if they didn't right. think anything of him. So I just I'm with you. Uh, to me, like this is the perfect time to get him in there. You need more shooting. You're going to have guys in and out of the lineup, especially early on in the season. You might as well get him run when you actually need the body. Than trying to find time to do it later on when you hopefully are actually competing for the playoffs. Yeah, there you go. Give me, give me uh, any other Wizards fixes. You got another niche Wizards fix? Not really. The the big thing is just the stuff that you pointed out. Like it's you got to try to maximize this roster because there are some interesting pieces. You don't have a ton of shooting. You've got Russell Westbrook. How do you ma- how do you maximize Russell Westbrook? We saw it last year. We saw. What I thought was one of the best stretches of basketball Russ has ever played. And it was because the ball wasn't in his hands too much. And everyone around him could take advantage when he attacks the basket. Yes. And it works. But does it does it work with this roster? I don't know. I don't know if they've got the shooting. I mean, And also, I don't know if I want the ball. Like, I, I want the ball in Bradley Beal's hands as much as possible. You know what? I, I don't know if that necessarily – look. We we've barely talked about Beal actually. I know. I think Beal. I think really his good. man is he does the playmaking. Look that that game uh, against the second game against the Magic. That's going to be confusing all year. By the way, uh, the second game against the Magic without Westbrook, um, he was very aggressive going at at Fournier, which you know whatever that's fine. But he made some plays out of that that I didn't think he was going to be able to make. Like if you had asked me at the beginning of last season. Could he have made those plays? I didn't think so. Um, pretty obvious that that he is seeing seeing the court differently this year versus you know uh, this time last year. He's he's just become an incredibly complete offensive player. Yeah, and um, so, uh, just under control at all times. He's he's kind of become he's not at that level, but stylistically and skill set wise, he's kind of become East Harden. How do you feel about that? I I don't disagree. I I I he's not at the level of Harden. No, no, he's no. obviously not at the level of Harden. But if we're talking just like stylistically, he's kind of become East Harden with kind of how when he has the ball, with kind of how controlled he is. And there are obviously there are differences. I mean, James Harden is the best scorer in the NBA. Is the best scorer in the NBA. But they have a lot mm-hmm. of similar stuff. Their footwork with the ball is similar. They love those step backs. The the way that they run those pick and rolls has this very similar similar kind of 
it seems slow because it's so controlled, but it's not slow kind of motion. They go through reads similarly. Uh, I think there's a little something there, but you know what the difference is? And it's why I don't completely agree, which is why I need the ball when you say that you need the ball in Beal's hands all the time, which is not all the time, but just a lot. I think Beal is so good running off of screens. He's great. And when you have multiple guys who are able to run around screens on the, on the floor at the same time, like he is and like Bertans is, defenses just have nervous breakdowns. And I think there are going to be a lot of moments this year when we see those three guys, Bertans, Beal, Westbrook on the floor together. I think there are going to be a lot of moments this year where defenses are just going to be like, oh, God. Like, I want to see Westbrook with the ball, and I want to see Beal and Bertans running floppy. I want to see those guys screening for each other. I want to see weird stuff that just forces. I don't even care if either of them ever squares up a defensive player. I do not care. What I care about is that they put a defensive player in a position to where some random dude in the middle of a February game has to think, oh God, Russell Westbrook has the ball and he's driving and now I have to figure out what the hell I do with a screen here on the best scoring guard in the East, you know, the best scoring shooting guard in the Eastern Conference or one of the five best shooters in the world. Like, oh goodness. And then the nervous breakdowns come because you make the defense think. And when they have to think, that's when the decisions start to turn into mistakes. And that's when all these guys end up rotating to the wrong place and you get breakdowns. And Westbrook capitalizes with layups or Bertans capitalizes with open threes. And look, from the 15 minutes that those three guys have been on the floor together this year, I thought the offense looked so good in those 15 minutes that I am totally confident that when those three guys are on the floor together, the offense is going to hum like crazy. I think the offense is going to be dominant in those moments. I have not changed from that at all. I think it is going to be dominant in those moments. There just needs to be more of those moments, which right now, I don't know. there can't be. Listen, I don't know if it's going to be dominant in those moments. Really? Um, I do. Well, because, yeah, I, I mean, Russ just can be, I mean, he can be so great. But he can also be such a liability. And so I think it's going to be that 50-50 thing. It's going to be a lot of Russian roulette. Which Russ are you getting? It's, a, it's going to be Russ roulette. Here's here's the thing with Russ. So much of the – so he, he took 22 mid-range jumpers over his first two games. Which, like, I know Russ is mid-range reliant. And I asked Scott Brooks about that. And he's like, yeah, you know, our guys take mid-range shots and – and, and look, one of my predictions when I did a bold predictions column coming into the season a week and a half ago, one of my predictions was the Wizards will be a top 10 offense and lead the league in mid-range shots. Um, and I'm feeling pretty good about that right now because uh, I still think they'll be – I'm feeling good about the mid-range shots part at least. So Westbrook took 11 mid-range shots a game. He took 12 in game one and 10 in game two. That's still like twice as many as he normally takes. <laughs> And part of the reason, though, is Westbrook's decision-making has a lot more to do. For all the talk of, like, Russell Westbrook goes out and he plays the same way every night. He's not going to let you impact what he wants to do. That's, like, a thing that people say about Westbrook all the time. I don't think it's true. Like, it's true for his mannerisms and it's true for his competitiveness, but it's not true for his decision-making. Because in reality... 
if you make it, if you rig your lineup so that you have the best chance of there being lots of daylight going to the rim, Westbrook will go all the way to the rim. And we saw that in Houston last year. And we saw Mm -hmm. that in rare instances in Oklahoma City where he played with a lot of shooting on the floor, which was often a problem when he played in Oklahoma City because they usually had that Andre Robertson spot where they didn't have a shooter. And they had a center who didn't shoot threes and Stephen Adams or Kendrick Perkins or whomever else. And so he never really had those opportunities. But when you play with him with a lot of shooters, what he does is he keeps going until he sees the doors start to close. And when the doors start to close, he says, oh, pulling up. And then he pulls up from 15 feet. And I'm not saying you're going to get no mid-range shots from Westbrook if you play four shooters around him. You'll still get them, but you'll get a lot more plays around the rim. You'll get more free throws, and you'll get him getting into like the second layer of, of the paint. You'll end up getting him into the restricted area, and that's not just where he ends up getting layups. That's also where he ends up creating spot-up wide-open threes with the defense starting to collapse in on him, and now they're late. And, and so... I think what you do if you're the Wizards is you at least try to make those decisions for him because right now when he's playing with multiple non-three-point shooters on the floor, the defense is or the defense is collapsing in on him. It's becoming crowded and he's saying, "Oh, I'm pulling up." And and I don't think he's going to average 11 mid-range shots a game because that's totally and completely ridiculous to do over 72 games. I don't think that's going to happen. But although <laughs> although but what if it's a what if it's a ten cup situation and he just keeps going to the mid range? Keeps going to the mid range. What did he shoot on that? It might have been an eleven. It might have been an eleven that he shot on that. But I, I that's my that's my thing. That's part of why I think you need to play shooters this around is, Westbrook because it's not just an. But we do this every year. We it's do this every year. And you know this. You covered him in Oklahoma City. We do this every year with Russ. No, no. If you do this, if you do this, if you do that, if you do this. Now, look, last year was, I thought, the best chance that we had to see it work, and it did work great for a long time. They could, For whatever reason, when they got to the bubble, Russ didn't look right uh, physically. So I, I want to—I th- throw out the bubble. I, I'm, I'm not looking at the bubble when I'm thinking about Russ at all. It can work. Can, can Thomas Bryant shoot at the volume he needs to shoot? So far, no. He he needs to be like five or six threes a game. I really think that he needs to be spacing the floor that way as much as possible. So to allow those driving lanes for not just for Russ, but also for Beal, man. You're right, and I do like the TB is right now very aggressive in the pick and pop. He's going up smooth and, and like there's no hesitation. I that's great. That was that's carryover from the bubble. That was that was a good thing. Um, but I, I need to see more volume. He, they just need to find three-point volume somewhere. The, and he can do it adequately until Bertans is healthy enough to take on some of that load. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Today's episode is brought to you by Giorgio Armani Aqua Di Gio Parfum, a long-lasting and deeply intense men's fragrance that captures the powerful sensations of nature. The woody aquatic scent features notes of bergamot, 
clary sage, and patchouli, which create an intensity that is vibrant and aromic. Discover more at GiorgioArmaniBeauty.com. I think those are all fair points. And to be clear, you're, you're right about Westbrook. My point is not turning him into some analytically perfect player. That's never going to happen. Right. My point is shaving down those 11 mid-range shots a game and maybe turning him into five and a half, which is kind of where he yeah. was at last year. And that's and that's where the spacing is. And that's still a very high number. And yes, that's where mm-hmm. the spacing is because ultimately I think he is – I think he you're you're not going to turn him into some analytically ideal player. You're not turning him into James Harden. It's just not going to happen. But you can improve on the margins. You can you can put him in a position to where he has open driving lanes cuz he's still good when he has open he's not what he was 3 years ago. But he's still good or 4 years ago. He's still good when he has open driving lanes. Like you said, we saw that in Houston last year. And they're capable of putting together lineups with better driving lanes than what they've had so far. And it'll take some mapping out. It'll take some tweaking. But they're capable of doing that. And like I said, part of that is just like, Davis Bertans is going to be able to play more minutes. And we'll see if they decide to start him when he's able to play 25 plus or 28 plus minutes at some point. Uh, we'll see if they decide to put him into the starting lineup. But that's why I say like I'm tying Bertans to Westbrook's hip. I'm just... I want those guys on the floor together all the time. There is, there is, I'm with you. That is mutually beneficial. We haven't mentioned Isak Bonga being plus 20 in a game they lost by seven. He's great. <laughs> He's good. Bonga's good. If, if the offensive stuff just like really starts to pan out, he's really good. He's going to, the passing, yeah. the, the passing, like nobody's talked about his passing at all. He's actually a really, really smart passer. He makes the offense better, even without the threat of the shot. Yeah, he's only twenty-one. I I, yeah. I I was surprised Scott Brooks did not go to him in that fourth quarter. I kind of thought when they're when they're up seventeen, and Orlando mm-hmm. starts on a run. I kind of thought after Orlando starts on a six-zero run, I thought there was going to be a timeout coming. I thought we were going to see Bonga, where it's just like, all right, eleven-point game. Put in the guy who's played very well defensively tonight. And he did play very well defensively, and he didn't play in that fourth quarter. And I was surprised by that. I, I, I didn't expect him not to see the floor after playing well. And, and by the way, single game plus minus stuff is like, you know, there's obviously it can be accurate, and it can also be wildly inaccurate. The reason I pointed out is ninety percent humor and ten percent the fact that this is a bonga trend. Their defense was ten points per hundred possessions better when he was on the floor last year. They played like by far the worst defense in the league when he was off the floor, and they played like a totally respectable one when he was on the floor. And that's not completely because of him. There was some lineup combination stuff that happened in those minutes, uh, but but he's good. He's good. He's he's fundamentally good. Can we talk about Denny for five minutes? Yeah, we can do that. Um, you remember? Do you remember what I said to you? When you asked me ahead of the draft how I felt about Denny? I I actually don't. Okay. So my concerns about Denny all were about fluidity. And I felt like too many of his – too many of the things that he did in game felt mechanical to me. Like he was he was predetermined. Um, and I think that maybe it was just about the level of competition that it just stood out so much. And he really was going through his options. 
rather than just kind of uh, I'm going to go step to step to step, if that makes sense. And what I'm seeing so far is, uh, yeah, no, no, this guy's high IQ, pretty smooth, uh, gets gets the ball in and out of his hands pretty quickly, and he's exactly what they've needed on the on the wing. You know, you know, it's been my biggest surprise with him. I, I did not know he was going to be able to defend like this right away. Yeah, he's really smart. Really smart so far with his positioning. And and a take that I hate, and I've tweeted about this, and a take that I hate, and I get it all the time whenever somebody who's played pro ends up being good, mm-hmm. is, and, and you're very in the European basketball scene, so you can tell me I'm an idiot if you disagree with this, but I, I, I feel pretty good about this take, which is, you know, I say I can't believe how refined Denny's defense is for a 19-year-old. It's just you don't see 19-year-olds who, like, when he's manning guys one-on-one, he's got, like, his footwork down to a T, you know? Like, he's shuffling and staying in front of guys. He's got his arms out and behind him. He doesn't – he hasn't been – I know he got into terrible foul trouble, by the way, uh, in in that second game, 19-year-old. But, like, for the most part, in two out of those three games, like, he's not not reaching – Fundamentally, he's there, but talent-wise, he's there too. And I bring this up, and I get like 900 Twitter replies. It feels like, and this is me living in my social media bubble, right? Thinking that this is representative mm-hmm. of the world, uh, but just getting 900 Twitter replies, basically all saying, "Well, of course he's good defensively. He's been playing pro. He's a former pro. Well, You're not, not going to play pro." True. And I'm like, if that were the case, if if all you needed to do to be a good pro in the NBA was play in the Israeli league to be a good defensive player at 19 years old in the NBA, which very rarely happens, very rarely happens. Then guess what? Every single player from the Israeli league would be coming over or from the Euro league would be coming over to the NBA and being an above average defensive player in the NBA right away. Like, to me, it's not shocking that he's good defensively at some point. It's shocking that it's any time a 19-year-old is good defensively, is disciplined defensively, and can actually man guys one-on-one, is reading rotations correctly, like, that's that's not normal. That's that's a surprising thing. So I, I didn't expect that. Uh, I, I think his offense looks... Pretty pretty good. His playmaking looks pretty good. Decision making looks pretty mm-hmm. good. He loves bounce passes. Oh my yeah. god, does he love bounce passes? <laughs> Every pass is a bounce pass. It's amazing. Um, I he's he's a little tentative at times. I think, which again, he's 19 years old. But I'm just surprised the defense is so far along. I just I didn't expect this. I think he's got a pretty good chance to become a really nice defender. Well, he's he's a great team defender. Right. And and so being his age and being able to defend within a team concept is that's gonna get him minutes. Because you know that you can you can count on him as a helper. Um I don't know if you want to get him into space. And obviously they're gonna do everything they can to keep him out of those situations. Uh but his defense has been great. Yeah. I mean, but the added playmaking there, having a guy another guy who can dribble and pass, I mean, the most valuable skill in basketball. Being able to dribble it and pass or shoot—that's, I mean, that's huge. 
And I wasn't necessarily a believer. Um, I liked where they got him, but uh, he looks pretty good. I mean, he just looks he looks ready. Yeah, he looks ready. Mm-hmm. He looks ready, and, and, and like he's a he's a nice rotation player. Which at 19 years old, today, yeah, yeah, today, yeah, he's a he's a he's a pretty nice, reliable rotation player. Which at 19 years old, like not many 19 year olds are pretty nice, reliable rotation players. Even ones who become yeah. excellent players take time. That's why you don't see teenagers in the league all too often. So I I I think he looks good. He looks good. He looks reliable. I don't know if the shooting is real. I'm not saying it's not real. I'm just saying I don't know. His form is kind of wonky, uh, but from what I've been told, he hits them in practice. Or, or like, and when I say practice, I mean like scrimmages. Every NBA player hits them in just one-on-zero drills. Uh, but he but he hits them in the scrimmages and stuff. His, his form's kind of wonky because he doesn't dip the ball at all. He just kind of catches it and goes up. I don't love that. I know. I know. He just you got to be really strong to be able to do that and do it consistently for an entire game. Like Clay Thompson does. Yeah. That. Well, the originator of doing that, like really intentionally, was Anthony Morrow. Yeah. And he he made it into his brand. He used to coach other guys on the team. He used to do it. Uh, KD will do it every once in a while. Dion yeah. Waiters, I remember, started trying to do it. Marcus Saul kind of does that. Yes, Marcus Saul does kind of do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to have really strong legs. Yeah, uh, yeah, but you also I mean, really you're taking your legs out of the equation a lot. Uh, now I can go put on my shooting coach. Yeah. Hat. So when you don't dip, like dipping actually helps your body generate power. This is why uh, just about your your natural reaction when you catch the ball and catch and shoot is a dip. It's sort of like a backswing in golf. Okay, same same concept. So this is why like Steph Curry has a huge dip. A massive yeah, dip. Beal has a big dip. But he still has his fast release. Yeah, well, because it's normal. You're, that's your natural body mechanics. Like, just the way to do it. Uh, the no dip is unnatural, which is why so many people struggle with it, which is why it was a bad line of thought for the 20 or 25 years that coaches were standing out there with their hand underneath a basketball, popping it out when a guy would drop his hands too low. Instead of working with the body's natural mechanics, you try to fight against it. Now, some people have have still turned it around. I mean, Clay Thompson is one of the greatest shooters of all time, but he's so strong that dip doesn't really matter for him. So I don't know if Denny is going to be able to do that for his career. Uh, I would prefer to see him add some dip, but at this point, you're in the league. Um, if you can make shots, I don't, you know, don't break something that isn't broken. Yeah, we'll see if he makes them. I mean, he didn't make them last year. Mm-hmm. He's made them so well, he, far. He, yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Very, I forget how many threes he's taken. He's taken like five or six threes. So we'll see. Not many. You know, that doesn't yeah. mean anything. But we'll we'll see. His decision making looks good. I think just most importantly, he looks like he belongs. Yeah. Which is And he will. Helpful. So the thing is, his willingness to shoot right now is more important than those shots going in. Yeah, being willing to take the shot that matters so much more right now because he's not a good shooter yet. Like that was the, one of the things coming in. Like he's not a good shooter now, but I think he will be because he's willing to shoot. Yeah, and we'll see what happens. Any other fiery Wizards takes you got? No, no. I, I think Thomas Bryant uh, by by All Star break. A lot of people might. Well, we'll see because it is the Wizards. Um, 
uh, Thomas Bryant could be in the running for most improved. Wow, that's a fiery take. How are you gonna? I don't think it's fiery. How are you gonna say I don't no? Think it's fiery. I think it's fiery. Well, because he's a well, he's a guy that we talked about uh, last season about improve. Usually, the most improved award catches on late, right? A guy has already shown, hey, okay, something else is here. Um, if he bumps that shooting volume up, absolutely, man. I, I I could see him being, you know, around fifteen and ten for the season. That might that might get people interested in what he's been doing, especially if their defense is not, you know, bottom five. If they're they've got the twentieth defense or twenty second defense, all of a sudden you got to look at Thomas Bryant differently. Yeah, we'll see if they have that. I I do agree with. I don't you. think they will. Yeah, I don't but, think they will. Right. Yeah. Right now, they, at the time of this recording, I think this podcast is that we're recording this Monday night. I think it's actually going to go up Tuesday morning, uh, but at the time of recording this, going into the Monday night games, at least. Uh, they were 20, 21st in points allowed per possession, which is like, it's way too early. But but they played pretty okay defensively against Philly. And one thing they've actually, I think, done an okay job of is, is they've actually done a better job of, of keeping guys out of the paint. Now, it doesn't feel like that because the most recent thing we saw was Markel Fultz get into the paint so much in that fourth quarter during that comeback, and, and it felt like Orlando was just getting into the restricted area every single time for so many layups during that comeback. Uh, but they've done a pretty good job like forcing shot selection in proper spots. They they haven't had any games where they've just like given up a ton of corner threes. They haven't had any games where they've just given up an exorbitant amount of layups. They... They've they've actually had some games where they've pushed teams into into a bunch of mid range shots. To me, the biggest issue is they're miscommunicating, they're rotating late, and they're fouling people, and they're over fouling a lot. And then the defense gets bad. That's what they are doing. They're just over fouling a lot, and a lot of that is because of either miscommunication or guys rotating to the wrong spots. And obviously, those two things can be completely related to. That was a huge problem last year, by the way. They were 28th in the league in free throw attempts per field goal attempt last year, and that was one of the really big problems for why their defense was as, as lowly ranked as it was. And uh, it's it's most certainly happened again over these first three games. I'm not arguing, by the way, that that's going to be oh, solved. Yeah. But what I am arguing is that they've they've had some moments where it's like this is this is not the hey they're they're going to finish you know, 15th in defense uh, optimism. This is the, hey, maybe they won't finish bottom four in defense. Optimism. Right, right. Uh, yeah. Because I think the fouling well, will be a problem throughout the year. All Wizards all, all Wizards optimism should be tempered. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, hey, they might be able to climb out of the bottom four is, you know. Yeah, but this isn't the Cleveland <laughs> Cavaliers, okay. you know. Oh, uh, this is not, this is not, not the, a juggernaut. Yeah. <laughs> The juggernaut, uh, elite passing Cleveland Cavaliers. Oh, they look nice. The ball movement Cavaliers. They're fun. They're fun. They're playing hard. And uh, see, that's the thing about the Wizards, right? Like, I I think that they're playing hard right now, and that is helping them so much. Not that they weren't playing hard last year, because you can't take it away from them. But when you have guys that are giving the kind of effort and the second effort that those guys were giving, especially in that second game last night, like, you talked about Neto and, and his kind of being a little bit of a pest. That stuff helps this team. You got a young, a really, really young team outside of Beal and Westbrook. 
I, I don't know. I, I I think that Neto Neto finding more minutes is is not going to hurt this team. It's only going to help them. Yeah, if they tread water, if they tread water, mm-hmm. and and to be clear, this is not a sources thing. If they tread water, this just feels like the kind of roster where a trade is going to come. Like they're missing a piece. It feels like right. Mm-hmm. Like it it feels like if they just had a guy who was a three and D vet. It would change things. And meanwhile, I reported right before we recorded this podcast that they did not pick up the third year, the fourth year options on Jerome Robinson or Mo Wagner. I wonder what that means. I mean, look, if they want to resign those guys, they can still resign those guys. They can still resign them. You're only allowed to resign them up to what their fourth year options would have been worth. But Wagner's Correct. fourth year option is three point nine million. Or I should say was. Three point nine million, and Jerome Robinson's was five point three million. You know, I don't think those guys are going to end up getting paid that next summer, especially Robinson at five point three. I mean, that's basically the taxpayer mid level exception. I don't think anybody's giving that to Robinson, no matter what he does the rest of the year. So, if they want to bring those guys back, I feel like there's a pretty good chance they'll be able to if they feel so strongly about it. Um, but that being said, you know, those guys can be salary compilers now. Uh, they both make first round money, so you can add up a little bit. If you really like Neto, you know Ish Ish Smith who makes six million dollars. Uh, Troy Brown is a guy who it's like Scott Brooks is talking about how he's not guaranteed minutes, and there are teams around the league who like Troy Brown. I mean, it just mm-hmm. it feels like there's some sort of trade that will make sense if they just kind of tread water and they're thinking, all right, we want a wing who's a vet who can defend a little bit, who can hit threes a little bit, and there there aren't actually a ton of those guys who are expiring. If, it's really hard to get those, harder than you'd think. That's why, you know, Robert Covington gets, you know, teams give up so much for Robert Covington every time they trade for him. But, like, mm-hmm. it just it just feels like there there is going to be something out there for them before the trade deadline if they're just kind of maintaining because there is a piece out there that can make this roster be a little bit more eased into. Yeah, go ahead. What what if what if the trade is Beal for Simmons and Maxi? <laughs> well, what if the trade is Beal for Harden? No. And way. then you bring There's no way. <laughs> and then you bring Hart reunite Beal and Russ no. and you reunite no reunite Harden and Russ. Or be reunite no, no Beal and uh, Wall, I mean. No he way. just displaced the it, two backcourts in either city. Yeah, let's just let's just go ahead and do Beal for LeBron. Hey, you know, right as you know? right as we're talking, by the way, the Wizards just released their injury report for tomorrow against the Bulls, and uh, Rui Hachimura is obviously still out with the conjunctivitis, mm-hmm. and Cassius Winston's out with the two A. And normally they put Garrison Matthews on this, and they say he's out because he's on a two A, and Garrison Matthews is not on this now. So I there you go. I assume that means uh, Garrison Matthews who. Whose whose minutes discussed on this podcast to minutes played in the NBA ratio is so insanely high. I think he leads the league in minutes discussed on Wizards After Dark to minutes played in the NBA. But maybe that ratio will be going down a little bit if he ends up uh, suiting up tomorrow. So that's interesting. thought that could add some context to our previous conversation. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm being optimistic for the sake of being optimistic. To be honest, I just like more fun. We've seen three games. It's not that it's more fun. 
It's just like well, it's also it has is a lot. More there's fun, there's a there's but, a thin line between uh, between homerism and between optimism when you cover a team, and I I always try to be conscious to not be a homer when I give optimistic takes. I just I don't like being that. That being said, like. I mean, we're three games into the season. Let's let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. Teams have started 0-3. Somebody, you know, I tweeted, calm down. I'm talking about my tweets too much on this episode. I I, I yeah. tweeted everybody. Twitter's not real I life. Know. I don't know if anybody's told you I that. I know, but you know what the problem is? I live in a basement now, and I don't see other people. So now Twitter really is real life for me. But But somebody said to me, you you wouldn't be saying this if because I'm a big Yankees fans and you wouldn't be saying this if the Yankees started zero and three, and and my reaction is the 1998 Yankees who won 114 games and won the World Series and won 125 games between the postseason and the regular season, which is best, the most ever. best baseball team of all time, best baseball team. Yeah, of all certainly time. the best baseball team of my lifetime. They in your lifetime. Mm-hmm. Uh, they started one and four, mm-hmm. so I would be fine, and I know that because every single time the Yankees start like zero and one, they mention, "Hey, <laughs> the '98 Yankees started one and four. It is the Yankee broadcast equivalent of mentioning that Jeremy Grant went to Dematha every single time he plays the Wizards. That is the Yankee broadcast equivalent. Uh, so, so just like you know." I'm not arguing the Wizards are going to win 125 games, but let's see. Let's not let's not stress like crazy. Again, they got Chicago twice this week. Chicago does not look good. Does not look good. And they got Chicago twice this week, and then they got Minnesota after that, and Carl Anthony Towns is going to be out for that game. So we'll see. We'll see. If they're 3-3, three and three, things could be different. Anyway, I'm going to podcast. When am I going to podcast? I'm going to podcast later this week with somebody. Maybe I'll podcast before the Chicago game Thursday. Maybe I'll podcast after the Chicago game Thursday and put up one for the weekend. We'll see what happens. Maybe we'll podcast after the Chicago game Thursday. Oh, are you inviting Probably yourself not. back? We'll see. We'll see. Uh, you've always got an open invitation to come on the pod. That'd be great. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I'll just kick the door in. Yeah. That's it. There we go. Um, okay. Anything to plug? Before we wrap up? No. All right. Everything. I mean, you know, everything over at The Athletic. Uh, I, I feel like uh, we're really hitting our stride on The Athletic NBA show, of course, on Nerder She Wrote. So, you know, hopefully people are already checking that out. But if you aren't, definitely go ahead and do that. Also, The Daily Ding. It's a good show. It's a great show. It's mm-hmm. a great show. Listen to all of Dave's stuff. He's on 972 podcasts. So, so. Go listen to all of them. And I give a I give a different take on every single one. <laughs> if you I don't I I'm actually not even joking. I just don't like to repeat myself. So I will find angles <laughs> to talk. I mean, I came up with uh on a pod like we were talking about MVPs and by the time it was my turn, the only guy I had to talk about was Kevin Durant. It's interesting. <laughs> it's more fun that way. <laughs> It's perfect. Uh, subscribe yeah. to Wizards After Dark. You can subscribe anywhere you listen to podcasts and subscribe to The Athletic. 
subscribe to The Athletic. If you want, you can go to theathletic.com slash wizardsafterdark, get a discounted price on a subscription if you're not already a subscriber. And that's not just a subscription to The Athletic DC. That's a full access subscription to The Athletic. Again, theathletic.com slash wizardsafterdark, and you can read all of my stuff, and you can read when Dave writes, and you can read Sam Amick, and you can read our baseball or football or everything else. So check that out, theathletic.com slash wizardsafterdark for a discounted subscription. Give us a five-star rating over on iTunes. Leave a review. That always helps more than uh, you might realize. And, and, and you know what? Signing up over at The Athletic helps me out too. If you like the show and you want to support the show, you can support me by signing up on my subscription link on theathletic.com slash Wizards After Dark. Like I said, I'll be back at some point later this week to talk more Wizards. And uh, I think this was a pretty optimistic podcast given the circumstances, but we'll see what ends up happening after these one or two Bulls game, Bulls games before the next time that we podcast. Whenever that is, I'll talk to you guys then. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.